Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, I've been crawling out of my skin the last month or so since we got news that a new CBA had been agreed to. The term sheet has been circulating of what the general outlines of the agreement are, although the actual CBA has yet to be completed. I've had to watch way too many playoff games. I haven't had a chance to go through it now. I have. I feel like I'm getting a pretty good handle on it at this point, but the guy who has the best handle, the Kyrie Irving of the CBA, is the cap father, Larry Kuhn. How are you, man? I'm good, Nate, although the, the Kyrie Irving of the CBA, that's a new one on me. <laughs> well, you got the best handle on it. Okay. I, I just came up with that right now. Is that pretty yeah. good? And, and, you know, interesting <laughs> thing, like this CBA and the last one, they came to an agreement when games were still on, which means guys like you and me are split multiple ways. You know, where what happened to the days where, you know, they get to July, they don't have an agreement, they have a lockout and they fix it sometime in November and there's no games going <laughs> on. You know, that that's like the good old days, right? Uh, well, considering my business kind of depends on there being games or not. <laughs> Uh, this, this actually, uh, as much as I might complain about some aspects of the CBA and, and uh, as other things I think are really good, uh, the number one thing is we're going to be playing basketball games next year. That's, yeah. And, and, and in all serious, you know, it's a great playoffs and, and, and really fun to watch, but also this agreement and the last agreement, since they came to those agreements with months to spare, it speaks to the state of the relationship between the league and the players you know, with the union and the people doing the negotiating. And I think the league is in a good state in regards to that. And certainly when you look at the new agreement, you don't see them fixing any big player versus league problems. You see them fine tuning things in, in order to better conduct their business. They have some things that they wanted to address and they did. And we'll talk about some of those things, but in general, this is one of those those good years. And I think that the problems that happened back in 2011 and way back in 1999, those things are a thing of the past. And they're in a good baseline state in order to keep playing good games, you know, keep the league going, keep making revenue, keep sharing it between the league and the players equitably. So we're in a good position. No, I agree. And I, I said when we found out that this was done, I just want to congratulate everyone involved in this. Again, you know, we know some of those people mm. really well of just how how hard it is to get to an agreement, to get off your high horse, to give something up, to 
find a way that this makes sense for both sides and i think that was something that really stuck out to me about this process there really was a give and take it wasn't necessarily one side you know over leveraging and just forcing the other side to acquiesce necessarily i think that has been the case throughout this working relationship in the pandemic and there's been a lot of criticism of adam silver over his tenure although now the ratings are certainly way mm-hmm. back up this year so uh, perhaps some of that uh, will be muted at this point uh, but i mean the biggest thing that he's done is he's kept the trains running like that's your number one job as a commissioner to me so i uh, i think uh i congratulate everyone for getting this done keeping things going during the pandemic getting all that stuff done with the bubble uh, i'm glad that we cover this sport as opposed to maybe some of the other ones where it's a more contentious relationship yeah absolutely and when you look at some of the provisions in the cba that deal with unusual circumstances like a pandemic, right? Those rules have never really been tested until you get a situation like a global pandemic. And some of those rules just say, we don't know what's going to happen for sure because we can't predict the future. But when something new comes along like that and it completely interrupts our business, we're just going to negotiate in good faith about what to do about it. So if the state of the relationship is good, then you get a good outcome out. If it's not, then that could easily have completely derailed the league. And they did negotiate in good faith. They came up with a way of keeping the league going, uh, you know, which involved the bubble, but also how from a CBA standpoint to continue doing the business of the league, especially when the revenue takes a huge hit like it did in the pandemic here. And they all came out fantastically considering what the, the, the what happened in the world. You know, the NBA came out of this as well as you can possibly expect. All right. So this is how I want to talk about this. And a lot of listeners are, if not hearing this stuff for the first time, this is the first time we'll have talked about it really extensively on this show. So what I asked you beforehand is let's each of us will put together the five most impactful, I guess we should say clauses or major areas of this new CBA. What is your number one? What do you think is the biggest change that's going to affect the league's business the most in this 2023 CBA? Yeah, although you know this very well by now, asking me to come up with a list of five is just silly. (laughs) You should have known that because I came up with a huge list. But I did like sort of the the premise that we laid out because you saw the the term sheet alone is 91 pages. There's tons of stuff in there. Most of it is going to be like, well, the whole thing's going to be an iceberg, right? Uh, 10% of it will be visible to the average fan who's paying attention. The other 90% is going to be completely below the surface. Nobody's going to see it or know about it unless you are the most careful CBA watcher. So concentrating not just on what's changed, but what's going to impact the league is is really going to help focus this discussion. Yeah, And in addition to that, yeah, there are things that are changing that are going to be visible, like some of those things like, okay, uh, marijuana is now off the banned substances list. So sure, the average fan, you're going to see fewer suspensions. Other than that, it's not really going to affect how the league gets run. Right. So let's concentrate on some of the things that that will be visible. And, you know, some of these are maybe a little bit above that line. Some are a little bit below that line. But I did come up with a list of of more than five things that we could talk about. Okay. well, what's number one? Because I like what is the thing 
that we're just going to be talking about constantly of like, oh man, this is really affecting how teams do business, how players get paid, uh, any of those. What's the biggest deal? Yeah. So let's talk about the highest spending teams. Now, this is not all the teams, but this flows down from the highest spending teams like the Clippers and the Warriors down to everybody else. Because if the highest spending teams are forced to change the way that they do business, it's going to affect everybody. And we're talking about the more punitive tax changes. So the the, the tax has always been a disincentive, but it hasn't been a prevention, right? You can choose, if you wish, to continue spending above the cap. And those penalties get more and more onerous, but nothing stops you completely from doing something. And the league over time has made the penalties more and more severe because they first imposed the tax and teams just saw that as the cost of doing business if they were going to fuel a competitive team. That was for a dollar for dollar tax and no system restrictions. So the league said, fine, that's not enough to really change your behavior. We're going to do more. We're going to put an apron there. And above that, you're going to get system restrictions. And in addition to that, we're going to give you a more punitive tax that's really going to increase. And if you're a repeater, it's going to increase even more. And yeah, that did have an effect on teams and their willingness to spend above the cap. But a few teams just said, hold my beer. So the league in this agreement is making it even worse on some of those teams. And some of those changes are... There is like for for the first apron that was the apron that was always there. Um, you can no longer, if you're above that apron, sign those players that get waived around March first in order to load up for the playoffs. You can't sign those players if their salary is above the non-tax mid-level exception. Your trade margin, you can always, if you're above the cap, trade for a percentage more than you can bring back. Well, that percentage drops to a hundred percent. You can't trade for more salary. And this will be starting this next offseason, not starting this summer. It, this upcoming year, it's got to be 110%. So they're ramping it down. Um, you Some trade exceptions, those things where if you make a what's called a non-simultaneous trade, you have a year to acquire players, those things will expire. Um, if, a tr- if a team uh, completes a transaction after a season, but before July 1st, they're hard capped for the next season, not for just the remainder of, of this season. So those things become more onerous. But now there's another apron up there. Well, the so, open- so let's, let me stop you there, Larry. Let's yeah. go through those again, because these are going to be new concepts for a lot of people. So before, with the first apron, you had restrictions where, uh, and the mechanism to enforce this was essentially, if you do any of these things, now you cannot exceed this level for any reason. And that is that is the thing that where you just, you can't go over this at all. The hard cap, like we've hard seen cap. some teams struggle with that. So it used to be, all right, you can't do a sign and trade. You can't use the mid-level. You can't use the BAE if you exceed the first apron or vice versa. If you do any of those things, then you cannot exceed. Right. There, there's safety, there's right? no so, sneaky reversing the order of doing things in order to sneak your way above the yeah. apron. That's what the hard cap is. Right. So now, and that first apron has, has been in the $6 million range above the tax. Now it's going to continue to, to rise uh, with the with the uh, salary cap and tax going forward. But you know, it'll be in the $7, 8000000 million range as the, the cap goes up. Uh, so now we're adding additional restrictions just for that first apron. We're not even talking about the second apron 
yet. So there are more restrictions now on the first apron. And those are, you can't sign buyout guys if they had a salary above the MLE. You can't add more salary than you sent out in a trade, essentially. And then also you explain the the last thing of the uh with the trade exceptions and and how those work with the first apron and this is going to be one where we're going to actually need to see the 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 cba because the term sheet is not necessarily clear in a couple of places they know what they're talking about but it didn't necessarily translate into a clear set of language in the term sheet it looks like a what they're going to define as a year, quote unquote, goes from the end of one regular season to the end of the next or the, the last day of the season to the end of the last day of the next season. And if you're above that first apron, then you can't use a, one of those trade exceptions from a prior, quote unquote, year, which to me means that at the end of the season, all the active trade exceptions expire for teams above the first apron. I don't know that for sure, but that's my interpretation as I read what's in the term sheet. Yeah, that was uh, as best I could understand it as well. So new stuff here for the first apron. Now this second apron. The whole my fear exception apron, yeah. Yeah, so that second apron, it's going to be a little over $17 million above the tax and uh and they're they're also by the way they've actually changed the amount of the tax that you have to pay which we'll get to but in terms of the system restrictions now that second apron is going to work the exact same way where you're hard capped if you do any of the things that it doesn't allow you to do or of course if you are above it then you can't do those things afterwards either what are the restrictions at the second apron now Yeah, so back to the first apron, you lose the full mid-level exception at the first apron, and you get what's called the taxpayer mid-level exception. Well, at the second apron, you lose that, so you get no taxpayer mid-level exception either. Um, You can't aggregate salaries and trades, and this is starting next year, so they're giving this a year before it takes effect, which means you can't add two player salaries together for the purpose of getting a more expensive player. You can't send away cash in a trade. You can't, and this one's a little bit vague, but as I read it, if a player in his current contract was originally signed and traded, then you can't acquire that player. And the the final one, and this one was a whole new one, they were looking, must have been looking for creative ways to penalize teams, and they found one. They're going to start doing what's called freezing draft picks, which means if you're above the go above the second apron, uh, they have there's the seven year rule, which means you can trade players in the next seven drafts, but not beyond that. That rule's still in place. Now, if you're above that second apron, they're going to go what's called freeze that second pick. You can't trade it um, while it's frozen. And they're going to see what happens over the next four years. And if you start behaving and get your salary down, they're going to unfreeze it. If you don't, they're going to lock it. So you have no option but to draft that player seven years away. So what happens since there's a four-year window after it's frozen where they're kind of seeing what happens, it means teams can have multiple picks frozen over over multiple years as we get farther through the CBA. This one, I'm really curious what's going to happen. So let's uh, explain that a little bit further, right? The Golden State Warriors, very likely going to be over the second apron next season. If that's the case, then they will not be able to trade their pick seven years out. So that would be their 2030 first round pick. 
you know, this this takes effect in 2024. So okay, all right, all right. So we'll say 2024. Then you can't trade your 2031 first round pick. You're mm-hmm. over the second apron. That's and correct. I'm might actually be able to get down. What if? That, yeah, and um, there will be no situation where that's already traded because July 1st is when the or the the end of the the 2024 draft is when that pick becomes eligible to be traded in the first place. So there's no situation where, sorry, we already traded it. That's not going to happen. Right. And of course, if you do trade it, then you would be hard capped and you can't exceed the the second apron. So yeah, I, I thought of that too. I'm like, oh, well, what if they just trade ahead of time? No, you can't trade it ahead of time because it's not eligible to be traded until that year. That's why they did it this way it's to seven. have it be seven years out. But now, so let's say your 2031 pick is frozen because you're over the the uh, second apron for the 24-25 season. Now that pick is still frozen basically until you'd say you cleanse, right? And so the way you cleanse after that is you got to be out of the second apron for three of the successive four years. So getting that pick frozen, you cannot unfreeze it. And tell me if I'm wrong on this. This is the way I read it. You cannot unfreeze it until four seasons after that, right? Like, so it's basically like, so now you're getting much closer to like, you can't actually unfreeze your 2031 pick until I guess it would be, you would have to be out for three years. So the earliest that you could unfreeze it would be the 28, 29 season. Well, it's a little so, better yeah. than that because okay. they say if a team is over that second apron in at least two of the following four seasons, then it's, it's locked. And by the way, not only is it locked, they move it to the end of the first round. So um, that that's just another little little penalty. Then, if a team is under that second apron in at least three of the following four seasons, the pick is unfrozen. So yeah, you go you go three years. I, I'm sorry, I, that may have been exactly what you said. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I tried years. to count it out in my head. I think I think I can add <laughs> plus three. Nap in the morning <laughs> is always a, a, a risky proposition. Um, but yeah, so so twenty four, twenty five, you're over the apron. Now you got to be out for three years is, is my understanding. So 26, 27, 28, you're out. Now in the 28, 29 season, the pick is unfrozen. And then if you are not, if you don't cleanse by then, you still can't trade that 31 pick and that 31 pick goes to the end of the first round. So essentially, if you're over that first apron or that second apron, even in one year, you are hamstrung in terms of trading that pick. And of course, due to the Stepien rule, that messes up a bunch of other picks that you might trade too. Uh-huh. Uh, you can't really fix that for another three years. So that, I mean, even just that restriction alone, in addition to some of these other ones, that is a rather powerful disincentive to not exceed that second apron. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's just going to be huge. You know, this is when people are talking about this kind of being almost akin to a hard cap. I maybe there are, you could foresee some circumstances where it's just like, okay, we, we can't retain all of our superstars and these guys are just so good it's worth it but man it's hard to think of too many circumstances like that and i mean the biggest thing even more so is this is going to affect teams planning years and years ahead of time like okay four years from now like we're going to be up against the second apron like how are we going to avoid this uh i mean it's gonna be a lot of consequences of this a lot of consequences If if you're over it for three years you have three consecutive lock picks that's huge yeah i mean you're basically yeah there's gonna be 
I, I mean, I, I may be getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but in terms of some of these consequences, like if you are a team, it's just going to be real hard unless you have like a lot of good young talent coming in. Like the Boston Celtics are one, right? Like if they're going to give the 35% max to both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, man, it's hard to fill in a team around those guys and not go over that second apron. And maybe if you're, if they're winning championships every year, maybe it's worth it for a year or two. But yeah, I mean, it, and if they, they can't trade picks into the future, this is this is going to be there's going to be a lot of dancing that teams are going to have to do to deal with this. I think. Uh, agreed. So this one to me is just fascinating to see what's. Gonna- Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Oh, and then the the final thing about the the more punitive taxes that they actually made the dollar amounts more punitive. So they they did a service to teams that go just a little bit above the cap, above, above the tax level, because that's not where the problem is for the league. The problem is for the huge spenders. So they made it easier on the teams that just go a little bit above and they lowered the penalties at those those first two brackets. So if you're above the cap, but by less than $10 million, you're going to get a little bit of relief compared to previous years. But if you're above that $10 million threshold, it's going to get even more punitive. They're they're adding even more money to the tax, which even provides a stronger disincentive, both to the tax and to the repeater tax. Those both get a lot more expensive. Let me elaborate on, on that a little bit. Um, uh, and I feel slightly vindicated here because I've been saying for years since the 2011 CBA took it from dollar to dollar to this much more uh, this increasing tax structure that this really was a regressive tax against some of the small market teams that are just like we can't go into the tax for any oh, reason yeah. so what do you, and so that it actually favored the big market teams in some ways or at least the teams that are willing to spend more so it used to be the zero to five million dollar band it was a dollar fifty now that's a dollar so that's down it's back to a dollar for dollar just for that first circumstance that first five million dollar band 
Then 5 million to 10 million used to be 175. Now it's only 125. 10 million to 15 million, you talked about this, used to be 250. Now it's 350. So that is a massive difference, an increase of a, of 40%. 225 per dollar going from that 5 to 10 to that 10 to 15. So that, that in essence may also be kind of a de facto hard cap for a lot of these teams. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of again intended that way. And then 15 to 19 million used to be 325. Now it's 475. Yeah. And, and then again, you throw in, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, the, and again, the the richest teams, you know, like the Warriors, um, the Clippers, people like that, it, it, they they may still see that as the cost of doing business. I don't know. You know, if if you're fielding a championship team, maybe, but you really have to think long and hard about that. And I think for those teams, it's the system changes that are going to be the the, the real uh, thing that stops you. Whereas um, for everybody else, yeah, this this tax is still onerous. But the the other thing I was thinking about when you look at teams that don't that 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 have always been uh, avoiding the tax, like pick Indiana, it just says you know we're never going to go into the tax. I don't see lowering the first band from a dollar uh, fifty to a dollar as changing the game for them because one of the things that happens is when you're above the tax threshold you're not only paying tax you're not receiving a distribution in the taxes that other teams pay and because of these increasing bans the that pool of tax money is going to get even bigger i don't see teams like indiana saying okay now we can spend above the tax Yeah, maybe that's not the case. If they had like a championship contending team, then maybe they would, right? That's it's like it's feasible now to do it because the other thing, like I think, is just the tax distributions be a lot less than it used to be because the disincentives for going in are so high. Maybe more system than monetarily. I think that just these massive tax distributions that we've seen the last two years and that we're going to see this year, I think those will be a a thing of the past. So it's not going to be you're giving up. $10 $10 million in cash, it's, you know, you're giving up like $2 million or something like that. Maybe that's, so there's not as much of an incentive to uh, get out to get yourself just a little bit of money. We'll see, we'll see where that at. We'll see what the behavior is actually going to be like. I, I think it's, this is going to be very close to a de, de facto hard cap for uh, most, if not all of these teams. Uh, and then another thing with the tax level, this is something Kevin Pelton was the first one that I saw to write about this, which is a, a good enough idea that I was mad. I never thought of it. Now the tax bans will increase with the salary cap mm-hmm. every year. So you're not going to have the situation like we did for the last 12 years where the cap has doubled, but these tax bans have not increased at all. They probably should have increased them even this year. They're not going to do that. Uh, because they want to just hold all, all the salary down. And then also, we don't have to get into the exact numbers, but the repeater tax is much more onerous than it used to be. I'll just give one example. The regular tax rate for that 0 to $5 million band is $1 per dollar. For the repeater tax, it's now $3 per dollar and basically goes up from there where it's now an additional $2 starting in every single one of the bands. So that's another one where hard to see a team wanting to be just even in the regular tax for more than that 
uh, three years in a row, right? Because you basically yeah. the 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 most you can be in the tax and avoid it is you're in three three years, then you're out two, then you're in three years, then you're out two to avoid right. the repeater tax. So okay, I think that's basically all the restrictions with the first apron, the second apron. The yeah, let me go back to so, let me go back yeah. to one point you made. Um, okay, and it's a little bit ancillary, but um, you said that they tied it to the cap increases and decreases, which is true. But even beyond that, they're tying everything to the way the tax increases and decreases now. Uh, you know, everything it now ties to that, which does make sense. One example for, uh, and we're going to talk about this when we talk about trades, I'm sure. But just to mention it here, there was always that fudge factor of $100,000 in any any percentage trade, right? You can trade for the outgoing salary plus another 25% plus $100,000 fudge factor. Well, as the salaries kept increasing throughout the league, 100000 became less and less of a percentage and had less and less of an effect. They're expanding that to 250000 but they're also tying it to the cap. So when the cap continues to rise, that margin is going to continue to rise and it's going to stay commensurate. So one of the things that I had originally written down for us to talk about was they're implementing cap smoothing for the first time at 10%, which is which huge. It would have saved a lot of bad contracts in the 2017 CBA because without cap smoothing, when there is a huge cap increase due to a new TV deal taking effect, the way everything works out, because all the, um, at, at the time, all of the exceptions and minimum salaries and rookie scale salaries were already defined for the entire agreement. And everybody under contract was already under contract. So the only players that money, that big windfall of money could go to were the free agents that happened to be free that year. Well, um, cap smoothing would have fixed that by keeping some of that money from going to the free agents. And instead, it distributes it to every player in the league, just due to the way that, that the league works through the player's guarantee. They're actually putting that into the agreement this year. So cap smoothing at 10%, which means if the cap were to have, rise, have risen above 10%, they're going to cap it at 10 If they don't meet their guarantee for, for, for league-wide what the players are supposed to make, the difference goes to all the players in the league. Great. But it's not as big of a problem this year as it was back in 2017 because now everything else is rising and falling with the cap. So the rookie scale salaries, the minimum salaries, the exceptions, you know, even these margins in trade, those are all, all rising. So you can pay those players more and not have to just give it to the, the free agents. And the only players who are locked in are the players who are under contract and the 10% smoothing will help them but it's not going to be a, a a situation that just creates awful contracts like it was back in 2017. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was a, I guess it would have been the 2011 CBA still because 16, yeah, 16, 17, I guess is when the, the uh, that big tax spike was. You're, you're absolutely yeah. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So I'll add this. It's my turn. I mean, that was, obviously we had to talk about that. I think that the, the, all the stuff uh, at the top of the scale. My actual pick for the second most important thing is what's happening at the bottom, where you have all these penalties now for not meeting the minimum team salary at the start of the regular season. We've seen a number of teams. They changed this a little bit under the last CBA where you couldn't do this thing where, oh, we're going to stay way below the minimum salary and then, oh, we'll we'll add a big salary at the trade deadline and then we only got to pay that guy for a third of the year. They eliminated that essentially in the last CBA. Now, though, you get all these penalties where it doesn't really make any sense to be below the minimum salary as of the first day of the regular season. Can you take us through what those penalties are if you're below the minimum as of the first day of the regular season? So this is the minimum team salary, which is set at 90% of the salary cap. Right. So it used to be that there was a strategic advantage to staying below that minimum, which means there was an advantage to breaking the rules. And I don't like this on the court with intentional fouls, right? Where you're trying, but that's a whole nother discussion. And I also didn't like it (laughs) off the court where a a team can violate the rules to stay below the minimum, because when you're below the minimum, you have the opportunity to make trades. If you stay below the minimum, you're not worrying about the trade of player exception, or you have the ability to get, you know, add more, you can, you can sit there and pounce when opportunities arise and the league, obviously. And then some teams would just make a trade at the trade deadline and acquire enough salary to stay above the minimum. And at the end of the year, they would be fine. Well, in the last CBA, they made it so that they don't do that counting at the end of the year. They do it on a, you know, on a, on a actuals paid versus team salary to reduce teams doing that. In this CBA, they're just saying, no, we want to eliminate that completely. So if a team um, is under the minimum team salary at the, uh, as of the first day of the regular season, then um, they're going to have to pay that difference, whatever the difference is between where they sit and where the, their minimum team salary is. They're going to pay that to the league and it gets distributed to the players. Um, they're not going to get a tax distribution. And these are, since they're at the minimum, these are not over the apron teams. These are the teams that would be receiving a tax distribution. They're going to take that away. Now, for one year, there's a transition rule where it's just going to be 50%, but but still. So that's huge. And they're going to eliminate whatever room they had under the cap. So they're just going to add that amount. It's going to be cap hold on their team salary that puts them back up to the minimum. And the other thing is, um, if, if uh, again, they don't want you doing tricky things by reversing the order of operations on stuff. So if you're above it and you make a transaction during the season after that first day, when, when they do that stuff, um, if you make a transaction that takes you below, um, they're not going to allow that transaction. You can't make a transaction after the season starts that takes your team salary below the minimum team salary. 
So that's really interesting. We've had teams like the Spurs, the Pacers this last year that will be below there. It also, <clears throat> I think this will have an effect on renegotiations and extensions, which we haven't seen that many of, but the Pacers did that this year later in the season with Miles Turner. Sixers did it with the Robert Covington early in, in this CBA. So now, unless the guy is eligible for renegotiation and extension before the first day of the regular season, this is probably going to essentially eliminate those during the season. And the other thing I think this is going to cause is the first day of the regular season might also be like akin to its own like mini trade deadline where you know that these teams have to, you know, maybe, maybe uh, in July, a team is just kind of holding onto its cap space, holding onto its cap uh, space. Meanwhile, these teams that are in the neighborhood uh, of the second apron, they, they need to get out of things. Uh, So maybe you would see and save some money, but, Everyone knows that that is going to go away at the start of the regular season. So you might see sort of this sweepstakes for teams to offload money to these teams that have saved their salary cap space. But everyone knows it has to happen by the first day of the regular season. So maybe we'll even see sort of a run up uh, to that uh, with players getting moved and figuring out what the price is going to be to dump salary. Uh, Although maybe it'll be a little easier to dump salary now because these teams know they have to get up to the minimum team salary or we'll also just see that the market for certain veterans is a little bit better than you would have thought you'd be like oh well San Antonio like what what do they want with some veteran player when they're trying to rebuild they want to just play the young guys well there's no point in not spending that money now so maybe you just sign guys to a contract that you think is good like it and you can move on from them later or they're just they're gonna play and it's just it'll be a little harder to straight up tank for an entire season as well so i I think while there's been a lot of discussion of okay what's going to happen at the top that's going to squash some of these teams down i think i don't know that it's great for the league personally because i think what makes the league awesome is great teams being together over a number of years that really capture people's imagination it's be hard to do that now but i also think that you should have teams at the very bottom be less likely to just start the season being awful because of these strictures uh, with regard to the minimum team salary. Agree, but I think there's opportunities for teams who still want to try to game the rules here. Um, I, oh, sure. I don't, yeah, it's, I don't it, know. It's not, there's always opportunities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. But for this one, I think the opportunities are a little bit more obvious. Like, I don't know that other teams are really going to be able to leverage these teams because of free agency. They, there's always a, a a pool of players out there who can be signed to a contract. And I think you're going to see a lot of, of, um, of one-year contracts with uh, that are non-guaranteed with a trigger date on them or, or, or things like that enough to get them. And again, we have to see how the rules work in the actual CBA. Maybe they're not counting non-guaranteed salaries or something like that. Uh, but I think there could be opportunities where teams are just going to, oh, here's a guy who's like out of the league, but we're going to sign him for enough to get him uh, to an, enough money to get us above that minimum team salary. But it's going to be non-guaranteed. And as we continue to make transactions at some point, we may decide to waive him because he served his purpose of providing ballast for our team salary until we can find the guys we really want. Yeah. Or maybe the other thing too, is you might see guys signed for $1 less than the mid-level exception (laughs) so that they could then, they could then be bought out 
at the end right. of, of the uh, after the trade deadline if they can't get traded that that would be hilarious and, and get sent to uh, teams that are over the 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 first apron. Okay, your turn now. Next topic. What is the you would say maybe the third most significant or second in, in your view uh, of the changes to, as far as its overall effect uh, on the league here? I see one that number one's going to be visible to anybody following the transactions in the league. Um, and it's, again, just going to have fascinating effects that I don't even know if I can predict yet. So I'm just going to wait and see what happens with this one. Um, and and it goes along with the themes of they're trying to stop, to stop the stuff at the top the, the teams who are just throwing money at every problem they can and not caring the teams at the bottom, like we just talked about with the last one. But if you're not a prop, one of the problem children, we're going to loosen up the restrictions and make it a little bit easier for you to do stuff. And this one is that the non-tax mid-level exception, the room mid-level exception, and the biannual exception are no longer restricted to only signing players. Now you can use those exceptions in trades and you can use those exceptions in waiver claims. That to me is just fascinating to see how the deal market is going to change over the CBA. Yeah, that's kind of the idea. It's like, all right, in between the minimum team salary, which is 90% of the cap, and essentially that first apron, mm-hmm. there's just a lot more ability to move guys. So every team just comes into the season with a trade exception. Uh, that's the mid-level, uh, which is uh, that's also been increased uh, by a bit. Uh, so that's up to $12 million in the 23-24 season. So you can... Also, if you're going to be below the cap, the room exception is now up 30% as well. So you have more ability to use your cap space and then also get in close to the tax in a given season now. So it's all going to be easier. I mean, it's still going to be somewhat Byzantine. And you know, if it's going to be like this at some point, you're kind of like, hey, wouldn't it be simpler to just make the, you know, the salary cap just be the first apron, you know, like that, that it might be easier to just do it that way in the end. But I think they, that, that would be too big of a change to hard to negotiate too much legacy stuff in there. But yeah, so I, I guess, is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of specifics about like some of the, the trade rules? I mean, you talked about how you can use the MLE as, to make waiver claims or to, uh, as a trade exception, essentially anything else to talk about in terms of like how the trade rules are being changed? Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, just, just to that point, um, making it harder for the teams that are becoming problem children, they're shortening the taxpayer mid-level exception from being able to offer a three-year contract to two years. Again, that's the first apron. So you're not, you're not above the second apron. You're not a huge problem, but if you're above the first apron, you're a problem. So we're going to limit that one a little bit more. Um, the other little minor thing that goes with this is that all the, the proration of exceptions as the, the season goes along, that gets frozen near the trade deadline to provide a consistent amount that you can trade into or make waiver claims. So again, I'm interesting to see what happens there, but. With regard to other exceptions, um, well, first I'll talk about, again, they're loosening things up for teams that are operating within the margins of a well-behaving team. So you're seeing that 175% trade margin for, for teams that make smaller trades now goes up to 200%. That 
for the the middle tier, which used to be six and a half million to about nineteen point six million, you used to be able to trade for whatever is outgoing plus five million. Well, now that's seven point five million. I already mentioned that hundred thousand dollar fudge factor is now two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and everything rises and falls with the cap. So that's one um, nice set of things with it. Well, yeah, I guess we we should clarify that the cap can't go down now. That was one of the agreements in the smoothing that if it's going to be limited to uh, uh, a 10% increase in a given year, no matter how much the BRI goes up, that they also have it where it's just not going to go down. I think that's something that they found was good experience from the pandemic that you just, even if BRI goes way down, it just doesn't make sense to have the cap go down. And so you just, there are ways to for the owners to kind of get their money back if the players are getting too much. Uh, that have been prescribed in this CBA that go back to the pandemic. But just in terms of the system, you don't want all these teams getting squeezed by the cap going down when player salaries are, are going up. So it's good to have that codified going yeah, forward. That's absolutely right. Um, the, the cap won't go down. Now, if any exceptions were tied to not the cap, but the BRI, then BRI can go down. These exceptions would go down. But I don't think anything is tied to BRI. I think they tied everything to the yeah. That's what my spreadsheet has. So hopefully that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and then moving on, the the last thing that we should talk about with exceptions is that there's a new exception, right? The the second round pick exception, which I think should have been in the CBA way before this, just because sure. they came up with the most Byzantine way of fixing the problem of a player with two years in the league, you know, who had signed a minimum salary contract as a rookie. He's a free agent after two years. Um, and he's he's a valuable player now, but the team only has early bird rights, and they can't match a restricted free agent contract even if they want to. So they fixed it with the Gilbert Arenas provision, which is a, a, a Rube Goldberg-esque fix to a problem that could have been fixed by just allowing them to sign these guys for three years. So they're fi- they're fixing it to a certain extent. Now, a second-round pick gets gets his own exception. A second round pick can be signed to a three-year contract. Uh, the first year of that at the minimum salary, at the one-year minimum salary level. Well, actually every year at the one-year minimum salary level. And yeah. So, so to be clear there uh, is it's not the rookie minimum. You could still actually sign for the rookie minimum. Like that's, that's a possibility. We may see that happen. This, but this allows you, if you want to, to get up to the one-year experience minimum through this exception, and then you get the minimum from there. So there is a a mechanism to pay players kind of more than they quote-unquote have to be making uh, in that first year if you want to do it uh, on both the three-year exception and the four-year one. You have cap room, you could always do it. Right. Yeah, then, or or you could still use your mid, one of your mid levels or something like that. That's that's always a possibility. Or you could always just sign them to a a two year minimum deal uh, if you're the LA Lakers. Yeah, um, and then <laughs> it, it even allows this, this new exception allows a four year contract um, with the team option in the fourth year. And if you're going to sign them to a four year contract, you have to pay them the the minimum for a player with two years of service in the first two years, and then whatever the applicable minimum, which means. Well, well, so do you, do you have to pay them that or you just can pay them that? We're going to have to see the CBA. Okay. Yeah. I read it as you just, you can pay them up to that much, but you don't have to necessarily. So it's a, I think there's still going to be a lot of room for negotiation here on some of these, but kind of the idea is that you, uh, 
with this four-year deal, you can do, go up to the two-year minimum in the first and second year rather than the one-year minimum. So to get that fourth year with the, and each of these have a team option on the last year, to get that fourth year, you can, although maybe you don't have to, we'll see, pay more to kind of get yourself more years of, of team control early on by these exceptions. Right. Now, this does not eliminate the Gilbert Arenas provision because this is only for second round picks. If you happen to sign your second round pick, like you said, for two years, you're, you might still need the Gilbert Arenas provision. If you signed a rookie free agent, someone who was not a first or second round pick, then you can't use this exception. And you can only, if you're above the cap and you don't eat into your mid-level, if you sign the guy to a minimum salary contract, you sign him for a maximum of two years and the Gilbert Arenas provision still applies. So I, were hope, I was hoping they were going to do something to eliminate it, but at least they took away some of the need for it. Yeah, so with Austin Reeves, for example, then you wouldn't be able to sign him with this second round exception because he was actually undrafted. But of course, you have other exceptions that you still could use in theory. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, I guess it's my turn now to pick something. I guess we'll probably should go with the veteran extensions and the rookie scale extension changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? Let's start with the changes in veteran extensions. What are those? Yeah, so uh, they did something to help with the problem, but they didn't do what I was hoping they would do to fix the problem. So when signing a player who was um, going to be a free agent to an extension, um, the rule used to be that their new salary at the start of the exception can be 20% above the salary in the last year of the contract. The problem is if the player's market value was way higher than that, then the player was not going to sign for that 20% or extend for that 20% above. He's going to wait and become a free agent. So the team can either re-sign him with bird rights to a lot more or even go sign with another team. So it could be a situation where before free agency, the team and the player both want to pay the player more. They, they both agree to... Uh, a higher amount. Of course, there are no, there were no uh, under the table verbal agreements like that. But um, but the player became a flight risk just out of necessity because they couldn't extend them to the salary that they wanted. I was in favor of of them changing the rule to be look whatever they could sign the player for when he becomes a free agent. Just let him extend for that amount. Like if an extension happens after the last day of the finals before. June 30th, when when he's still under the team's control, you know in July you're going to be able to give him a, a, whatever salary you're going to be able to give him. Let him give him that amount. It, it brings more sanity to the free agent market. Teams aren't going to be wondering, oh, is this guy going to be free or isn't, isn't he? It, it, teams can plan. The, the home team can certainly plan because they know they're going to have the guy locked up. 
They didn't do that. Instead, they just increased that margin from 20% above to 40% above. So you have a situation where if you happen to be a player who is worth more than 20% of what you made, but less than 40%, this rule takes care of you. If you're still a high value player, that who that doesn't help, you're still in the situation where you have to become a free agent and therefore a flight risk. Yeah, I kind of like flight personally <laughs> it's it's a, just because i think and i i'm not as in favor of extensions like i think it just it leads to a lot more players who don't deserve it getting more money whereas certainly free agency is not great either but at least you're at the point where the contract is kicking in when you're making the decision as opposed to way before that you know and you're i don't less know if I agree with get. that necessarily yeah. because i think the open market can drive prices higher. Yeah, maybe that's true. Uh, but I think at least you you know what level the guy is at. You don't get a John Wall situation where you sign the deal two years ahead of time, and by the time it kicks in, like the guy basically can't play, right. and he's making 35% of the seller cap. So uh, personally, I, I think you're less likely to get bad contracts if you... And also, if there were just more free agents as well, then and more cap space, then... Yeah, yeah, I think those things kind of counteract it. In, in, the end, in, but I, yeah. in my version of the rule where, you know, Larry is, is at the table um, negotiating, it, it's just you can do this from June 30th before the contract ends to, I mean, from, from the day after the finals before the contract ends to June 30th, which means it's not going to be a John Wall situation where it was years before. You know the player oh, is a situation where he can play. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, but yeah, so it's up to 140 rather than 120. And same thing for those guys who are making like the minimum. It's 140% of the estimated average player salary uh, in the year it's signed when it kicks in. So you're still going to have a lot of these guys like a Jalen Brunson who are so good that you just there's no way to be, you can afford to extend them. A uh, few other changes in terms of extensions that are pretty interesting. We'll call this one the Kenneth Fareed rule. Uh, because people remember, I think back in 2014, that it was reported that Farid had agreed to a five-year, $60 million extension. But back then and up until this year, the only five-year rookie extensions could be for the max. Now, any rookie sale extension can be five years, even if it's not the max. So mm -hmm. th that'll be pretty interesting. Uh, what do you think of that idea? Uh, makes perfect sense. Uh, uh, you know, they... They have a few rules where, okay, you can do this, but you got to pony up. And that just restricts teams from coming to agreement with players on deals that make more sense. So I'm all in favor of letting, of, of not restricting teams in that way. Yeah. This will be, and of course, like that's one where they could sign a five year deal when they get to restricted free agency, but you can't sign it in as an extension. Yeah. That'll be fascinating. I think it, generally it will make, draft picks even more valuable that even kind of more middling level players you could sign them but it could also for uh you essentially have nine years of team control instead of eight but of course that could lead to some more mistakes in terms of those five-year deals as well uh another little thing that i think this one is, I, I actually do really like is we'll call this the draymond green rule where he has a player option right now for 27 million next year and I don't know what he's going to end up signing for, but it used to be that you could not decline a player option and do an extension for less than that. So if Draymond is a $27 million player option during this season and the team wanted to be like, okay, we want you to decline that player option, but then we'll give you three more guaranteed years at 25 million. You can't do that. 
it, right. because they didn't want the idea used to be that they didn't want to teams like pressuring players into declining their player option and then signing for less but i think there's a feeling now that that can be beneficial for both player and team to get more guaranteed money even if it's at a lower starting number i think that's a really good approach for particularly veterans particularly now that we have these strictures of the second apron to allow veterans to stay with teams when they have player or team options uh and just not uh, let them get to free agency so i I think that's a good change uh well then the other thing with, with with rookie extensions that i think is huge is that all that mess around okay you can only have Two, you know, guys that are designated players on oh, your roster. Thank, thank God we got rid of that. That, that might have been the dumbest rule that they ever had. Yeah, only one. Is this the Ben Simmons rule? Because didn't that? Really- uh, uh, yeah, or or the. Uh, you could call it the Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving rule too, when the Celtics couldn't trade for AD, but it just, it just ended up hurting everybody. There's this feeling like, oh yeah, like we can't let all these guys get uh, aggregated by the big market teams. But what it ended up doing is Anthony Davis is going to leave New Orleans anyway. So now you're just taking potential suitors out of the mix and mm-hmm. th- the team that has him is going to end up being hurt the most because they have teams they can't trade them to and then they can't get the best trade package like it's not like oh man like it's either anthony davis is gonna go to this one team or he's gonna stay in new Orleans. no he wants out he wants out so they're really it was just a a rule that was like lip service to try to protect small market teams with who'd sign guys these veteran uh or, or these designated rookie scale extensions and it ended up just like being a pain for everybody and not having any of the positive effect that anyone into the general rule of thumb is Sayonara, that more, good riddance to that one yeah the, the general rule of thumb is that the more little restrictions like that you put into the agreement the more unintended consequences you're going to be causing so i just like them getting rid of these kinds of little restrictions in general all right, so we're about an hour in. We'll probably have to bring you back to talk about even more of this stuff. But give me one more interesting area that you think is is going to affect uh, the league business here. Oh, I want to talk about one that's going to be huge, and not necessarily for the business, but in terms of people watching the league and what they're going to experience around June 30th and July 1st, which is, um, first of all, teams and players – can now start negotiating with their own players the day after the regular season, uh, or sorry, the day after the finals. And they don't have to, with their own free agents, go, oh, I can't talk to you. They can start negotiating with their own players the day after the finals ends. Um, And they're trying to tamp down public trade demands, so there's going to be fines for that. Agents can be fined by the Players Association for you know, the, if, if they're talking ahead of time, they can be fined for, for those free agency discussions or trade demands um, or, or, or tampering. But I think the biggest thing is, is the term she calls it jumping the gun, which is um, starting in 2024. So there's a year to kind of figure out how you're possibly going to live life with this rule in place. Uh, neither side can announce deals. The, the teams already couldn't announce deals during, before, during the moratorium. Um, but now the, the, the agents, the players can't either until after the moratorium ends. So everything we see around June 30th, July 1st with all the announcements, of course, I'm sure there will still be ways of getting information up, out there, but the, the flow of information about what's happening is going to get really tamped down. 
And the league is getting a lot more serious about enforcing these rules. So they're saying fines of up to $2 million, forfeiture of draft picks, suspensions of team personnel. If you're jumping the gun and negotiating agreements before free agency actually opens. So this is, let me get this right here. Uh, We know that teams already couldn't say if you agree in principle to a free agent deal during the moratorium period that you can't comment on it or officially say we signed it until the moratorium is over. But now players, right? If Kevin Durant wants to say on Instagram, you know, hey, go to the boardroom Instagram account. So I'll say I'm going to sign with the Nets. You now can't do that until after the moratorium either. Is is that correct the way I'm reading Yeah, the, the ones on the player side, they can't say that they've agreed in principle or, or whatever. Yeah, teams were restricted. You can't say, you know, you, you've successfully concluded, you know, you can't say welcome somebody to a team. You can't whatever. You know, are they going to find ways around this? Yeah, you know, it's like. Well, yeah, because so what's what's the point of this? Like, have you talked to anyone about this? Like, like why they care about players announcing it? They see it as a huge problem. What what we saw uh, because it 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 um, makes clear that teams and players were were jumping the gun on negotiations that where i see oh okay so it's like right so if it happens at right at you know 6 p.m eastern on june 30th you know that negotiations had happened ahead of yeah you did not negotiate a signing you know or a sign and trade with another team or or whatever in 30 seconds after free agency happened you guys were so there they just want to put a stop now, I, yeah, this, I all, that think, all seems like just bullshit window dressing to me. This is just going to be annoying. I, I think so, because um, another thing you could do is, well, maybe you open free agency to like where the draft is or something like that. But you're always going to get the problem because wherever the limit is, people are going to be talking before that. limit. But if you make it far enough ahead of free agency, maybe that's going to help. So I agree that there's a degree of window dressing to this. But seeing them try to address the problem and seeing what the repercussions of this are going to be is going to be kind of interesting. It's going to, I'm just wondering, you know, people like Woj and Shams, you know, how much information they're going to be getting and spreading uh, on on the download. Well, well, here's the thing, though. Like, you have to, like, everyone has to know that this is happening or you can't do your business. That's a great point. Right, right. Like, so, like, so without... Woj and Shams and anyone else who's reporting these signings, like you don't know what's happening, how much salary cap space everyone else still has left and like who's what free agents are even available and and all this stuff. Like you're just like they serve an incredibly important function for the entire league running so that you just know who's available and like what you can do and what other teams can do. So that's I mean, I imagine there still are going to be these reports during the moratorium. Like what's like it's all legal to. I mean, I mean, that's the thing that's crazy to me is why can't you, if it's legal to actually negotiate these contracts and agree to them during the moratorium, why can't you talk about it after the moratorium? I get it before the moratorium, but it seems ridiculous to continue that into the moratorium for players. Like, I guess it, uh, you don't want to do it for teams because, you know, it's not official, blah, blah, blah. You know, all right, I get the restriction for team, but I just don't understand what the point of this is. Maybe when it's we really see it written down, it'll become more clear how this is supposed to work. But I, I it's just like 
and there are ways. It doesn't make any sense there, to me. There could be a league clearinghouse for information for other teams, but but you're getting more to the greater point, which is what is the current point of the moratorium period? And obviously, oh, yeah. they didn't go there. But it, I I think that well, well, you know what I think it is at this point, Larry. It's just a screw over restricted free agents. That's the only reason. Basically, <laughs> the yeah, because they didn't fix that rule point. either. They try. They, they, I mean, there's more window dressing to it. I guess we can finish up with that too. So. Uh, I think probably the biggest difference with restricted free agency. Well, here, why, why don't you just take us through it then? What are the changes for restricted free agency? Yeah, so they're shortening the matching period. And it, it, this has been a trend. I mean, it used to be uh, 10 days and seven days and two days. Now, if you're um, a restricted free agent, you sign an offer sheet, the home team gets, and, and here's where it gets tricky. If the team receives the offer by noon, they get to 11.59 p.m. until the end of the next day. If the offer sheet comes in afternoon, then they get to 11.59 p.m. on the end of the second day. So it does shorten the amount of time that the team has to match or not match the offer. What they did not do in the last agreement, they could... Teams and players could sign offer sheets during the moratorium, but that match window doesn't start until the moratorium ends. That, to me, is is the biggest head-scratching rule because it doesn't fix anything, and it only makes it so that teams are going to be less incentivized to sign restricted free agents during the moratorium because it gives the other team a longer window because now you get to the more end of the moratorium plus the matching period. No sense whatsoever. They didn't fix, you know, they, they half implemented it in the 2017 CBA and they didn't really address it in the CBA. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. Like they want to give teams more leverage over restricted free agents. That's that they want fewer offer sheets. Like that's, that's the reason why this still exists. And it's kind of just the, the players association has been like chipping away, chipping away a little bit. So now, now basically you have a 36 hour match would be the minimum rather than a 48 the way it used to be. Uh, but yeah, as you said, like just to, to not really even be able to essentially start that clock until after the moratorium it's like making a team wait that long when all the business is concluded like that's a big chilling effect on restricted free agent offer sheets the one thing i will give the players association credit for here is qualifying offers have gone up so that at least gives a player more leverage to say hey you know what i'm not taking your long-term deal unless it's actually good i'll just sign this one-year deal so for first rounders they're up 10 percent more than they used to be and then for guys who are not first rounders it the qualifying offer goes up to 135 percent of prior salary rather than 125 percent so that's at least a way to give restricted free agents a little bit more leverage where now you can credibly say all right i'm just going to take the qualifying offer if you keep giving me this this crappy offer that that i don't want to take yeah and since they didn't fix the other rule i think we're gonna maybe see a situation where like you said that is more likely especially since by not changing the rule you're still keeping restricted free agency as an afterthought which means that by the time teams really pay attention to the restricted free agents and other teams the money's all dried up right and and the restricted free agents are left with little choice but to go back to the prior teams all right well the reason you are here other than of course uh, the goodness of your heart which is quite ample i i might add and to chat cba with you which is always a treat (laughs) 
Well, I, I was good. I wanted to thank you again for your mentorship in these matters, which is, I mean, we've known each other for like over, over 10 years now. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been invaluable, but if you like me uh, would like to learn about the CBA from one Larry Kuhn, and there's never a better year to do it because we have a new CBA, which presumably will be done in all of its glory by the time sports business classroom comes around. That's what you should do. You should sign up for sports, sports business classroom in Las Vegas this year. Uh, tell us more about that, Larry. Yeah, thanks. Um, sports business classroom is July 9th through 15th at the NBA Summer League in Las Vegas. And we are immersed in the NBA Summer League. We are right inside the arena. So nobody has access like this. We provide you with that access. We bring everybody from the league into sports business classroom. And I mean, everybody, we've had everybody from Adam Silver to team owners, to GMs, to head coaches, all the way down to the the working stiffs in the NBA into sports business classroom as speakers, as teachers, as mentors, as, as for, for networking. And we put you out into the arena to, to do things. And when you think about it, there's no opportunity like this in sports where an entire league is in one place in a relaxed environment for an extended period of time. We're immersed right in the middle of that with a week-long curriculum that teaches you all about league operations, about the salary cap, scouting, video, analytics, broadcast, and, and other media. Um, we give you all that. We give you reps with things. You know, you go scout games with NBA scouts. Uh, you do your own scouting reports. If if you're a CBA major, you're, you're coming in with me. It's designed like a college where there's a full curriculum uh, of GE that everybody gets, but everybody also picks a major to specialize in. You can specialize in the salary cap or scouting video analytics or media and broadcast and get a great specialization in all of those things. Um, if you're interested in this, then remember July 9th through 15th in Las Vegas, go to sportsbusinessclassroom.com for more information or to register. And I assume, Nate, that you have some kind of discount code. Wait, do I? <laughs> we didn't. I don't think we talked about that this year. So did, did you guys set up a URL for me? No, no URL, but they, they just entered the discount code. I, I thought you, your, your, your big thing is cap space. Well, yeah, I, I mean, it is, but I, I didn't know you guys uh, had put that in yet. But yeah, please, if, please put that in. So they, if yeah. somebody comes in and puts the discount code cap space, we will always honor a listener of Dunked On with a $300 discount. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that, that that's a pretty good deal. I was I didn't realize you guys were doing that again this year. So, yeah, I, for my part, I was involved in helping Crucial in. the initial I'm sorry. Crucial in. You you co-developed <laughs> this program with me. Don't sell yourself short. Yeah. Well, I was going to say you guys have moved like way beyond what we developed initially, but I, I mean a few things that I can add about this other than what Larry mentioned cuz I'm not as involved anymore. I'll, I'll be around some and uh, do a couple of the speaker roles and programs, but uh it, it's kind of moved beyond what I've been able to contribute at this point. But what I will say about it is there are many of these programs I would say, you know, in, in various sports and disciplines that are just kind of all right, you're going to come in, you're going to hear some people speak, that's it. That's not what this is. Like you're going to come in and and you're going to work. It's going to be one of the highest tempo 
things that you've ever been part of like you're going to be exhausted by the end in a good way but like this is going to be you're really going to get a chance to work and to impress people to meet a ton of great classmates as well or like-minded i think that i know so many people who met at sports business classroom who are still like great friends afterwards so it's an amazing experience also a chance uh, uh, for a jumping off point for your career and i couldn't recommend it more uh in part because i helped to develop it uh but then also because uh, the people who are involved, like Larry, Seth Partno, Dave Dufour, do an unbelievable job of making this worth your time and your money in a way that I don't think there's anything else out there like this. Yeah, look at the success we've had. You know, we've had we have two people now who are um, sports business classroom alumni who are G League GMs. A number of people around the league. So as as these people continue to find jobs in the league and rise through the ranks, you know, you're 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 interacting and making deals with people who you originally met back in sports business classroom, which is is just incredible. And you're absolutely right. I try to make this, you know, you uh, and you mentioned this a, a second ago. People invest their money, a week of their time, and a lot of trust in me to make it worth all that worth their while. And I try to deliver that as best I can. I have a, I have a week of your time and I'm going to give everything I possibly can to you. And you're going to be exhausted at the end. But I try to make it as close to playing with live ammo as I possibly can. We do the term <laughs> project, you know, which is the mock trade deadline, which lasts the entire week. And it's, it's as real as you can possibly get down to like you have actual GMs uh, who've, who've, who've run teams in their uh, critiquing what you're doing type, types of stuff. So there's nothing else like it. I, I certainly like to, to think so. And that's the feedback I hear. And the other feedback I hear, um, and I think it's grandiose to say this, if not for the fact that I've heard it over and over and over. So I'm starting to believe it. It's a life-changing event for people. All right. Well, that will do it for today's show, Larry. We'll, we'll have you back. Maybe we'll wait until the actual full CBA comes out to do a, another one of these, but it, it's always fantastic having you on and chopping it up on the CBA. And for the rest of you who are listening here, please subscribe to Dunked on Prime. You can get all of our playoff coverage starting with uh, game one of the West Finals tonight. And of course, we'll be talking lottery. We'll be doing scouting on the top 10 or so draft prospects, uh, offseason outlooks for all 30 teams. Then, of course, we will go into full coverage mode of this new free agency in this new CBA landscape. Talk to you all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.